We're going to conclude today a series of messages that we began three weeks ago, <clears throat> actually I guess two weeks ago, um, called Gifts for a King, Gifts for a King. And we're talking about the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus uh, in, in, within the first two years of his birth. We don't know exactly when uh, they arrived. Most uh, Christmas greeting cards and movies have them showing up at the, at the stable along with the shepherds and all that. And that may well have happened. But it's also possible that they, they may have arrived as late as two years later. And that would have uh, put them at a more um, stable home. Uh, pardon the pun, they weren't, Mary and Joseph were not in a, may not have been in a stable at that point, but wherever they were housed, and whether it was day one or two years later, when those wise men arrived, the Bible says they offered gifts. Now, it could have just said uh, they offered gifts and left it at that. That would have been sufficient for the narrative. But God intended for us to get some additional information out of that uh, offering of these gifts. And so he told us what they gave. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I've found that when God includes details like that in his word, it's worth pursuing what he may have had in mind by doing so. Sometimes we skip over some things that are so worth mining that uh, it's hard to even express the value of. And so over these weeks together, we've been looking at the significance of these three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, offered to the Savior and how that uh, impacts how we relate to, to Jesus, to the Savior, and the, and the offering of our uh, lives and worship to him. I began in reverse order in this series. Instead of taking gold, as you, you know, you would imagine, I would suppose, that a preacher who was going to talk about these three things over three weeks would start with gold, then move to frankincense, and then myrrh. I took them in reverse order. We started with myrrh, and some of you will remember that even though most of us are unfamiliar with what myrrh is, very precious substance, and we talked about how the offering of myrrh on that occasion signified the offering of one's life. And then last week we talked about frankincense and how that signifies the offering of worship and exalting God above all gods. And today we come to the subject of gold, and I don't think it's probably a mystery that when those wise men offered gold at the feet of Jesus there on that occasion, that they were saying, you are worth all of our stuff, too. I give you, we give to you, we offer you our material possessions. Even today, gold is probably the most profound symbol of wealth that, that we are familiar with. So today, I'm going to break every rule in the minister's handbook. In fact, I think in there somewhere it says, do not preach on money on Christmas Sunday. But I'm going to do that. Now, Everybody don't panic. I just saw some of you reach for your wallet or hold tightly to your purse. The offering's already been taken uh, or received, and, uh, so, and there's not going to be another one, so you're, you're good. Okay. I know that some of you are here today as guests or visitors. You come, uh, you're, you know, without uh, stigma, you come uh, to a Christmas service each year, perhaps with family or just because that's your practice. And you weren't expecting to be talked to today about money. You were expecting to hear about, you know, babies in mangers and stars and things like that. And, and that will be part of it. But I am, I've chosen because it's in the Bible 
to talk to you about the profound significance of the offering of the gift of gold on the occasion of Jesus' birth. And this is my Christmas gift to you. Money and material things is something we all have to deal with. It's something we all have in common. It's something we all struggle with in one way or another. And if there's anything besides the saving grace of Jesus, which of course trumps everything else, if there's anything besides that that has had more significance on my life than any other, it is that I have over the years learned to give God my stuff. It has transformed so much of how I live, not just my material world, but my interior, a spiritual world as well. So I'm offering this to you as my gift to you. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 12 of Mark at verse 41 where it says this, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. That would be a little, a little, excuse me, a little intimidating, wouldn't it? If this morning when we passed the offering basket around, we sent Jesus to follow along and look what you put in there. But that's what's happening. Jesus parked himself in the treasury, right at the uh, treasury of the temple to see what was being given. And many, it says, who were rich put in much. Get that. There's these rich guys that show up and they put a truckload of money into the treasury. And Jesus is watching. Then one poor widow, and the Greek word that's translated poor there in my English Bible means destitute. It's as poor as dirt, as poor as you can get. This poor widow, it says, came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. Two mites is less than a penny. You know, the other day, uh, I don't know what you think. We don't have this, you know, elaborate um, uh, maintenance crew that, you know, cleans up after you. If you don't clean it up, me and Chris are cleaning up after you. So anyway, so I was doing that. I was helping. Uh, cleaning up around here one day and I, I found a penny on the floor and I picked it up and I headed to the trash can. I was going to throw it away. It's so valueless in our culture and society. I don't carry change or cash on me so I, I wasn't going to put it in my pocket and I, this, this is what went into my mind. I thought, you know what, I'm not even going to give it to our bookkeepers because it's too much trouble for them to deal with this penny. So I went to the trash can and I was that close to tossing it in there and the Lord spoke to me. He said, don't you dare. And then I remembered this story and how God values um, our gifts and it's not how much. It's how. That's what it says there in verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money in. Not how much. He was unimpressed with the guys rolling in their Rolls Royces and putting all this money into the... Well, you know they didn't have Rolls Royces then. but <laughs> He was unimpressed by that. But then this one poor widow came and threw in two mites which make a quadrants and he called his disciples to himself and said to them, hold the phone. Wait a minute. This is worth noting. Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now, with that in the background, let's talk a little bit about why it was that the 
the wise men gave their gold to Jesus and why it is that wise men and women, even now, give their gold to Jesus. Wise men and women offer their gold or their material things to Jesus not because he needs it. Now, you wouldn't think that if you listen much to preacher guys like me because we tend to make it sound as though God needs your money. If you don't give, you know, this whole ministry is going to collapse. Really? The God who made everything? Is that strapped for cash? That he's, you know, if I don't come through, it's all going down? I don't think so. In fact, in Haggai, it says, God is speaking, and it says that the silver and gold are his. It says, the silver and gold are mine. All of it. And then it says in Psalm 50 that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. Now, the other day I went to Los Angeles to uh, um, uh, bring my father-in-law up here for the holidays. He's sitting right here and we've had our whole family with us this weekend. It's been really wonderful. So I'm, I've been his, I was his chauffeur. To, I drove down there, picked him up, and we were driving back in both directions when we passed Harris Ranch. You know where that is? I'm smelling it, <clears throat> but I'm also watch, or looking at acre after acre after acre after acre of cattle, and it dawns on me, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, we know that's kind of metaphorical in, in what's being said. It's not that, you know, he's talking about the fact that it, it all, it's all mine. I, I, don't, I don't need your money. I don't need for you to give to me anything. So God included this scene in the Bible. Wise men, wise women giving gold, their gold to God, not, or to the Savior, not because he needs it and not because he doesn't want us to have it. That's another thing that sometimes, oh, I got to back up. That's another thing that sometimes gets a little goofy with our, our, uh, our state of affairs is that we tend to think that we have this God in heaven who somehow gets a pleasure or joy out of making us suffer. Like, I don't, I don't have any beef against those who have uh, in, uh, made vows of poverty. That's a, you know, an ancient practice and I, I, God bless you if you can do that. But that's not required by God, nor is it, I think, even uh, valued by God in and of itself. Because in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, it says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Now look, I'm not, before you jump to conclusions, I'm not one of those preachers that say, hey, if you give a lot to God, God's going to give you a lot back. Now I'll talk to you in a minute about something that the Bible has to say about that. But this message isn't about material prosperity okay so give me a break on that one but this is in the bible the blessing of the lord makes one rich now there's an awful lot that could be say about or be said about what does rich mean does it have to do with numbers that are written on the, my bank statement does it have to do with what's happening in the other affairs of my life I'll leave that up to you and God to figure out. But God intends for us to be prospered. But get this. That verse goes on to say, And 
he adds no sorrow with it. All of us know or have heard of people who have lots and lots of stuff and have lots of sorrow that goes along with that. God says, it's my intention that my blessing in your life make you rich and I will add no sorrow to it. Pure joy, pure blessing. That's what our God intends. So it's not that he doesn't want us to have it or that he somehow you know, gets ticked off at the fact that you have a 70-inch screen over your fireplace. That isn't bothering him today. But the reason that it's significant that on that occasion those wise men offered gold is because he doesn't want the gold to have us. God is, it, it's not about God needing it. It's not about God not wanting me to have it. It's about God not wanting it to have me. You will remember the story of the children of Israel. The Bible is basically a, a, a narrative of God's dealing with a group of people, the Jews, the Israelites, and in so doing, how he is wanting, he's showing us, it's a, like a prototype, he's showing us how the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. And you'll remember that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Slaves. They had nothing. They were destitute. Poor as poor can be. They were slaves. And God said to Moses, I'm going deli to deliver or liberate my people. I'm going to use you to do it. So Moses shows up and God follows the arrival of Moses saying to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And the Lord follows that up with ten plagues that loosened the grip of Pharaoh on the people of Israel. And now they're, they're on their way out as free people. And the Lord says to Moses, tell the people to ask of their, in the, their slave owners, ask them for their riches. Now, the, the impact of the plagues on the people of, of uh, Egypt had been so profound, so devastating, that the Egyptians were trying to get rid of the children of Israel by this point. And when the children of Israel came to their slave masters and said, hey, would you go to the ATM and empty your bank account and give it to me? They said, yes, please, get out of here. And so the children of Israel, overnight, from poverty, severe slave poverty, became wealthy overnight. And the richest nation on earth had given their wealth to the people of Israel as they're exiting Egypt. Now, four months later, four months Having gone overnight from dirt poor to wealthy, Moses is in the wilderness with the children of Israel on top of Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments and the other uh, uh, instructions that God was giving him for the people of Israel. The people of Israel, waiting for him to come down, had figured, well, we don't know what happened to Moses. It's taking longer than we thought it should take, and we can't see him up there. We don't know. So they come to Moses' brother Aaron, and they say, Aaron, would you make for us a, a God we could worship? And so Aaron, Moses' brother, says, okay, give me some of your gold. And he crafts a golden calf. And now four months later, these people who had gone from devastating poor, being devastatingly poor, to 
overwhelmingly worth, uh, wealthy, are now worshipping, literally worshipping gold. Four months. That's all it took. The gold began to own them. It happens to us too, and it happens just about that fast. Stuff will own you. It'll own your thinking. How much of your thought life is about how am I going to pay the next bill? What am I going to do? How am I going to earn? What, you know, what am I going to spend? How am I going to spend? All of that churning away in your, in your mind. How am I ever going to get this credit card paid off? All of that stuff. The anxiety that's all about that. How am I going to pay my student loans? All of that. How much of that occupies you? How much of that has you in its grip? A lot. And I think the Lord wants us to see in that simple offering of the gift of gold that was presented to Jesus by the wise men that the smartest thing that any of us could ever do with our stuff is to give it to him. He owns it anyway. It belongs to him. And when we do, when we surrender, when we let go to him, then we find what he said, I, my blessing will make you rich and I will add no sorrow to it. You know, uh, back in 2008 when the economy tanked and all of our uh, real estate investments were in bad shape, including ours. Sue and I had just two years earlier uh, bought a home uh, in, in Vallejo where we still live. And we thought we bought smart and uh, had put quite a bit down on, that, on the property. In fact, in the, in the negotiating for the price, they, uh, we, we worked out a deal where we thought we were going to be uh, uh, in good shape with our equity. But the, you all know that that Great Recession was very deep and very uh, profound and we found ourselves overnight with a mortgage that was seriously upside down. Like many of you. And I had to say something to God that I never thought I'd ever have to say. I said, God, if you asked me to go somewhere else, I'd have to say no. Now look, I'm not, I don't want to go anywhere else, right? I'm, don't get the wrong idea. But I don't want to have to tell God no because material things have a hold on me. I never want to have my obedience to God be predicated on what my material stuff is saying to me. And that's why the Lord says in that, that graphic way, illustrated by the wise men, let's bring our stuff to him. Let's trust him. Let's trust him. I, you know, I, I forgot to acknowledge this at the beginning of the message, so I'll do it now. I, I try to speak on, on uh, money about once every 18 months. And uh, the reason I do that is because I love you. And because we all have to deal with money, and the Bible has a lot to say about it, and so we do, about once every 18 months. It's only been four months since we actually looked at this same, very same passage back in August, we did a four-week series on clipping your money's wings. I don't expect you to remember that, but I'm acknowledging that it hasn't been long since we visited this same passage of Scripture. And yet, as I approached this holiday 
Sunday, Christmas Sunday. I just felt like, and I could have, we could have talked about this two weeks ago, but I felt like the Lord wanted for us in this time when there is, let's be honest, a lot of financial stress, a lot of giving that goes on, a lot of, you know, how am I going to pay for this and all those gifts under the tree and all this. Let's be honest with that. At this season of the year, when a lot of my, a lot within me wanted to avoid this subject, I felt the Lord pressing me towards it because he wants for you to be free of any grip of material things on your life. I already said the offering's been received. There isn't going to be another one. But as we approach January 1, the start of a new year, I thought it might be something some of us would might, might want to reconsider about how we navigate our financial world and what we offer to God. Now, the Bible talks about tithing, and you've heard me talk about that before. Giving God 10% of our income. Everybody gulp at the same time. Let's go this all together. <laughs> Ten percent? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you, and the Bible isn't kidding you either, and I'm living proof that God honors us when we, when we do what he said to do with the tithe. But this is not really about that, because the story we just read was about a woman who gave everything, 100 percent. I want to be that person. Of all of the characters in the Bible that, that could have been chosen to hold up as a model of giving, God held up one whom no one would have expected to give anything, someone who could not afford to give anything. Jesus held that up. This is the model. Give it all to me. I will bless you. I will take care of you. In fact, in... Um, in uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, it says something that's hard to, hard to receive at first because we, we don't like this. He says, you cannot, Jesus speaking, it's red letters in my red letter edition of the Bible. Jesus is speaking, he says, you cannot serve God and material things. He doesn't say you may not, which means you don't have permission to. He says you cannot it's not possible. You guys know the difference between can and may? I mean, we use those, those terms uh, interchangeably, but they really mean different things. Mother may I means, would it be all right for me to? Do I have your permission to? Mother can I means, uh, do I, uh, is it possible for me to? Right? Jesus said it's not possible for me to serve God and material things, and yet most of us are trying to do that including yours truly. But it goes on in that same passage to say in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. Put him at the highest place in your life and all these other things will take care of themselves. They'll all find their proper balance in your life. This is recording number 11192 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, December 20, 2015. This is the third and final message in a series titled, Gifts for a King. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Gold. 